Okay, well, can I ask you please to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 10 together. They will also come up on the screen here as well, so uh, you can uh, follow along with that as well if you would like. Okay, so Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. So he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, this account is uh, primarily, it's just a wonderful account of salvation, of somebody becoming a Christian, somebody uh, moving, as the Bible would say, from death to life. Somebody who was not a believer, suddenly his heart is full and he is now full for Christ. It's just wonderful to see that unfurling over the course of these 10 verses. And what's even more wonderful about this is that it's Zacchaeus who's just got saved. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have been seen as an absolutely awful, he's the pits as far as uh, 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 first century Jewish society is concerned. He's a terrible sinner. He's an awful guy. He's just a uh, yuck. Yet Zacchaeus has just come to Christ and got saved. When I was thinking about this uh, guy, it made me think a little bit of this man, uh, a guy called Shane Taylor. You may remember his testimony. It's a fantastic testimony, uh, which you actually can still see on YouTube, and you can, it's on our website. If you click on our blogs section, it'll take you through to his uh, YouTube uh, story there. But this guy was um, one of the six most violent prisoners in Britain at one point. He was an extremely angry, aggressive person. The only time he could be moved from his prison cell is when the prison officers dressed in full riot gear. And uh, he could only be fed through a hole in his cell wall where there was no physical contact with him. This was an angry, violent guy. Yet actually he goes along to a course and he just starts to hear about Christ. Bit of an accident, actually. He only went for the cakes, I think. But, and thinks, oh, okay, I'll have to endure this. But as he listens, he finds out about Jesus. And he commits his life to, to Christ and becomes totally different, totally transformed. He is the kind of person, I think, that most people would have said, what, him? This angry, violent guy would become a Christian and be totally changed? Yeah, him. And I think we're meant to have that same view when we read about Zacchaeus in these 10 verses. We're meant to think, what, Zacchaeus becomes a Christian? Now, uh, I think there's a little bit of a hint, actually, about what's about to happen to Zacchaeus right in the first verse. Um, 
because it talks about Jesus entering a place called Jericho. That's the location for where this uh, is happening. Now, the history of Jericho was that it was a, a town that had used to have very large protective walls around it and a gate in it, something like this, I imagine. And um, uh, when the, it was one of the first cities that the, when the children of Israel arrived in the Promised Land, they had to take. And uh, these walls were designed to keep people out. And when the children of Israel arrived to take the city, I think we can say that not only were these walls designed to keep people out, but they were also designed to keep the purposes of God out. They were designed to keep God out and people away. And we know what happens, of course, uh, with Jericho, because we read about it in the Old Testament. Um, uh, uh, God inspires uh, Joshua, who's leading the people at that time, to walk seven times around the city and then to blow some trumpets. And as they do that, these great big walls absolutely just collapse. And then the children of Israel are able to go in and take possession of the city that God has told them to take possession of. Now, I think the same thing is about to happen again. This time, it's going to happen with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has built, as we'll see, has built big walls around himself, around his heart, to keep God out and to keep people out. And God is about to perform the same wonderful miracle, and the purposes of God are about to flow into this man's life, and he is going to be transformed. So let's take a look at Zacchaeus. Any good testimony story, you have to find out what the person is like before they become a Christian. So that's what we're going to do now. Well, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, we know this. He is a tax collector. And uh, not just any old tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. And being a chief tax collector would have meant that he would have had a number of tax collectors under him. And they all would be gathering taxes from people. They would have then handed their taxes over to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus would have taken a cut from each one of those. Hence, the Bible says he was rich. He would have been, by the standards of the day, I think would have been very rich. Because he was a tax collector, we also know this about him. He was hated absolutely venomously hated tax collectors uh, were seen as traitors uh, they were traitors to the nation because they gathered taxes for the romans and uh, the romans of course were an invading pagan power and they were keeping the children of israel absolutely under occupation in their own country they were assisting the nation's enemy and because they were helping, uh, uh, because they were working against the interests of Israel, they were also considered to be sinners. So they were, they were sinning against God as well as betraying the nation. And tax collectors would have been told that regularly. They would have been treated badly. Uh, people would have shouted out in the street what they think. In fact, we, we even see in this passage, don't we, he's referred to as a sinner. And that's not a helpful theological observation, by the way. Did you know you, there was some sin in your life? No, no, that's an insult. You are a scummy sinner, is what they're saying. And uh, sometimes they would have physically, they were physically attacked. And other times, if, if you saw a tax collector coming down the street, people often would cross over the road in order to avoid walking by them. 
They were absolutely loathed. And Zacchaeus would have known where he stood before God because people probably would have told him almost every day, you, mate, are a sinner. So what else can we tell about the Zacchaeus? Well, we know this. There was a point in his life, therefore, when he decided he was going to actively turn his back on God and he was going to turn his back on his own people. These are the walls that Zacchaeus has built. I'm keeping my people out, and I'm going to keep God out. It's exactly the same as Jericho all those years ago. And that's a big moment in his life. Now, we don't know why Zacchaeus decides to betray God and uh, his people, but we can see he's a very driven kind of guy. There he is, keeping people out. But uh, he, he seems to be very personally driven, and we can tell that because he's gone on to excel in his career. He's become a chief tax collector. And we know tax collectors are basically, they're criminals, really. They have a kind of sort of semi-legitimate side where they gather taxes for the Romans. But actually, what they also do is steal a lot of extra money and put it in their own pockets. So that's the world that Zacchaeus has excelled in. He's kind of done well in a sort of criminal underworld. Tells you something, I think, about this man and what he's like. So why? Why has he done it? Why has he turned his back uh, uh, on God and, and his people? Well, maybe he was just greedy for money. Maybe. Uh, maybe he was just fed up with being poor and thought, you know, the only way I can get out of poverty, because most people were poor uh, at this time, the only way I can get out of poverty is to side with the Romans and be a tax collector, and then I can get some money. Maybe. Maybe that's what was driving him. However, though, the Bible does give us another really interesting fact about him. And we said before, it's very unusual for the Bible to give us personal detail about people's appearance, because God's really more concerned about the heart and what the decisions people make are and the kind of character that they demonstrate. What they look like not, doesn't tend to be that important, yet the, the Bible's very specific in telling us something specific about uh, a Zacchaeus here, and it says this, he, he's short. And um, if you look into the effect of shortness in men, it, um, research shows some really strong uh, things that this can produce, I'm sure in not all men who are below average height, but in many. And it says this, they, are, they feel less significant and less important. They are uh, uh, more likely to be uh, a fear not being heard and more likely to be looked over or even ignored. They can also feel less likable, less attractive, and they're less secure as a result of it. So negative body image unfortunately, was alive 2,000 years ago. It's not a new thing. And I wonder whether Zacchaeus just thought, I have been dealt a really bad hand in life here. I've not only been born into a very poor society that's rough and difficult, and I've also got the Romans over me who are a brutal group of people, but as far as he was concerned, he had another disadvantage to deal with in that he felt he would be ignored. His height was a, something, another thing for him to have to overcome. 
And uh, generally, when people feel that they have to get out of a tough situation and they're fighters, they tend to look to three things. They tend to look to money, power, and status to make themselves feel better about themselves. So that Zacchaeus would say, you can't ignore me because I am rich and powerful. You can't look over me. I wonder if that's what's going on with him. That's what he was after, the money. The trouble with this plan for Zacchaeus is this. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. He's paid a high price to get what he thinks is the answer. If I get the money, that will make me feel better about me and I will be able to get ahead. But actually, it's made his life infinitely worse because if he was ignored before, now he's hated. And some actually even want him dead. Some of the zealots around at the time would have wanted him actually physically dead. So money just hasn't provided the answer that he thought it was going to. It hasn't satisfied him. This great plan he had to make something of himself, to get the money, he's paid this high price for it. He's had to abandon God. He's had to abandon his people to get this thing that he thought would be the answer, and it's not. It's just made his life worse. In fact, the only other friends that Zacchaeus had would have been other tax collectors, and they are criminals, and they probably would have stabbed him in the back had they been able to get away with it, because they would have wanted his job and the extra money. I think Zacchaeus doesn't only know he's a sinner, I think he knows he's lost. Jesus refers to him as someone who was lost, the end of this passage. Where do you go? You're surrounded by people who hate you. And you've given up everything you, you have for the money, and the money isn't working. Now, I think that's what's going on. Something like that is going on in Zacchaeus when we pick him up in chapter 19. That's the background, I think, to what we see in this man. And I think we see him now desperately looking around for something that will truly satisfy him. And we, want, we see him wanting to see Jesus. He wants, the Bible tells us, to find out more about who Jesus is. And actually, I think we see a man who's very thirsty for this. And we see the level of hunger, of thirst in this man to, to see what is there. Well, it's got to be more to life than just this. He's got to that point and he's looking and searching. And how do we know that? Because he is willing to climb a tree. The Bible says he goes and climbs a sycamore tree. Now that's a very brave thing for him to do. In fact, you could say a dumb thing for someone like Zacchaeus to do. Firstly, it's going to draw attention to the fact that he is short and he has to climb the tree in order to see over the people to see Jesus. And he's surrounded by people here who don't like him. And if they see an opportunity to mock him, they'll probably take it. Ha ha, shorty in the tree. Ow! He's going to sub subject himself to mockery. And secondly, and I would suggest it even more importantly, Zacche Zacchaeus has climbed this tree so that he can see Jesus. And we know from the passage that Jesus is able to see him. Now, if Jesus can see him, that means nearly everyone in the crowd can see him. So what has Zacchaeus just done? 
Zacchaeus has just put himself on display in front of a hostile crowd. That's not smart. But Zacchaeus has done well in the, under, in the underworld, in a criminal world. He's not stupid. He knows how to survive. He has just taken a very big risk because he is desperate to see Jesus. This is a thirsty man. Maybe you're listening to this and you relate to a little bit of Zacchaeus. Maybe you've looked to money or power or status, the big car, being a director, having a family or whatever, to make yourself feel, hey, I'm successful, I know what I'm doing, I'm doing well. But maybe you've just reached a period in your life where you are beginning to say, but I am thirsty to know, is there something more to life? Is there a God? Or maybe even someone said to you, you need to look in to see who Jesus is. And you're thinking, yeah, I've got to. The issue for you, though, I suspect would be this. You might have to take a risk in order to do that, like Zacchaeus did. I don't know what risk you might have to take. Maybe you come from a family of avowed atheists. And if they find out that you've been looking at God or Jesus, whoa, that's going to cause trouble. Or maybe you come from another religion where if, if they find out you're looking at Jesus, your life could even be at risk. Maybe you're an intellectual, and if your colleagues find out that you've been looking at belief in God, you feel your, your reputation might even suffer. I, I don't know what risk you might have to take. All I can say is that Zacchaeus was a man who was willing to take that risk because he wanted to see Jesus more clearly. Now look what happens when he encounters. So he takes the risk. He's up the tree. Jesus is coming along. And then it says Jesus gets to the point where he sees him. And what do we see? How does Jesus, how does God treat this undeserving, sinful, traitorous, greedy man? How does he deal with him? Well, what we see is grace upon grace upon grace poured out on him. First thing the Bible tells us is that Jesus looked up. All his life, Zacchaeus, when he's dealt with someone who's spoken to him, those people would have looked down on him to have the conversation. The grace of God is that the first interaction that Jesus has with Zacchaeus is that he looks up to have that conversation. Immediately, Jesus is communicating, hey, Zacchaeus, I am going to treat you totally differently from the way you are used to being treated and how people have treated you over your life. You're going to find it's different uh, with me. And also, God knows him. He knows what he's like. He knows you. He knows what's hurt you. He knows what you feel. He knows what you're sensitive about, what you are frightened that people will find out about. And he knows how to speak to you tenderly, gently. Maybe you're expecting a harsh God, God to be hard with you. Maybe you feel that's what you deserve. Please just take a look and see how Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. What else do we see? Well, we see Jesus... Notice him and call his name. 
Again, remember, all his life, I suspect Zacchaeus would have been frightened that people would have ignored him or looked over the top of him. Yet here is God coming along saying, I notice you. In fact, there's a big crowd of people here, lots of people. The only person, the only person that Jesus seems to call by name and notice is Zacchaeus. He's speaking into this man's pain of what he's experienced throughout his life. Zacchaeus is used to people ignoring him. Here is God saying, I am different with you. I love you. And he uses his name in a nice way as well. I suspect Zacchaeus is not used to that. What else do we see? Jesus then says this. Oh, this is wonderful. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Have you ever wondered about that? What's the hurry? Why is Jesus saying, hey, Zacchaeus, quick, get down the tree? Why is he saying quick? Has he like got another meeting or something? Is he busy? Is he? No, 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 he's not busy. Because uh, we know that Jesus wants to stay with Zacchaeus. I think the reason he is saying hurry and come down is that I think God is longing to see this man saved. I think that's what's going on. I don't think Jesus can wait for it. And I don't think he wants his salvation to be held off for a second longer than it absolutely needs to be. It so makes me think this of the parable of the prodigal son, where you have the father who represents God, and he has this wayward son who's described as, as living in sin and dead. Uh, and we see this father who, and he represents the heart of God. And we see God's, God, uh, the father looking for the, the, this errant son to come uh, back. And we see him just longing for that. And we see one day uh, after a while, this son repents. And he thinks, what am I doing? And he comes back. And it says, while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. And it says he runs out to him. This father, now we know respectable Jewish men didn't run. That was for servants and for children. Yet here is this father, doesn't care. His heart is such. He just longs to see his son restored to relationship with himself. And he runs out to him. And it says he falls on him and kisses him. And then the son repents. He just said, I'm sorry, please just take me back as a servant. The father says, no, none of it. He restores him as a son, puts a ring on his finger, and he holds a party to celebrate. He said, my son was dead and now is alive. Do you get the heart of God for the lost? God is rejoicing over the lost, and I think that's what's going on with Zacchaeus. Jesus is saying, I can't wait, Zacchaeus, for you to be saved. I can't wait for it. And then finally, Jesus says this, I want to become your friend. I must stay at your house today. That's a clear message that Jesus wants to be friends with Zacchaeus. I want to connect with you, get to know you. I, I, I want to spend time with you. Again, this is precisely the thing that everyone would not want to do with Zacchaeus. They hated Zacchaeus. They crossed the road to avoid Zacchaeus. And here is Jesus coming to say, I want to be your friend. Uh, this is, the, again, the total opposite of everything that he's experienced and seen, the pain that he has endured. Here is God speaking powerfully into his pain. And I think Zacchaeus is now blown away by what's just happened. I don't think he can get his head around it. He's just, 
I've encountered you. This is remarkable. And so um, we see Zacchaeus at this point joyfully receiving Christ. He refers to him now as Lord. In other words, you are God. And he repents of his sinful past. He doesn't try and hide it. He doesn't say, well, it wasn't me. No, he says, look, I'll give half of what I've got away. I know where it's come from. And, if, and he says, if, if I've defrauded anyone, and I think he probably would have, I'll give four times back. Actually, the law required less than that. But Zacchaeus is so won by Christ that he just is all in. His heart now, it belongs to Jesus. And uh, I have to say, the crowd absolutely hates this. They say, oh, Jesus, you've gone in to be the friend of a, a man who's a sinner. Yuck. But Jesus loves it. Look, he's celebrating. He says this, today salvation has come to this house. Come on. That's the heart of God. He's rejoicing and celebrating that this broken, sinful man has now been saved and restored into relationship uh, with God. He then says this, uh, salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. In other words, you thought he was unsavable. He was too foul. He was too broken. Uh, uh, and God would never be interested in him. But, but God, Jesus is saying, no, no, he is, he's, he's savable. He is not outside the reach of God's mercy and his kindness. So he draws him in. And then this passage ends with this extraordinary statement. Jesus said, for the Son of Man, that's him, of course, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. We see something of the very purpose of God for sending his Son in a human body to earth. He's come to seek and to save the lost. You see the heart of God for the lost. It's a stunning statement. I want to say, Christians, this should be our heartbeat too. This is what we, as Christians, we're turning, we're trying to become more like God, aren't we? That's this uh, process of sanctification we're on. Yet, um, uh, actually, what we need to do is what thrills the heart of our Father, and then let's be thrilled by the same stuff. And, and what thrills him? It's the lost being saved. It's the Zacchaeuses of this world being redeemed. It's the lost sons coming home. That, we're told, there is a party in heaven when the sinners uh, repent and come to Christ. And that is what's happening. just want to say to you, how, how do you do with that? How do you do with passion for the lost? Sometimes I am cold in that area, and I need stirring up. And I think it's probably the case for all of us. So I want to stir you today. Let's be stirred for the lost. Let's pray for the lost. Are you praying for the lost? Let's pray for our town. Let's, let's share with the lost when we can. And let's see them found by Christ. And I, I want to speak to you as well. Maybe you're watching this and you have never committed your life to Christ. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. But maybe you're just beginning to think, what is that? I just want to say this to you, that whatever you have done, whatever you have said, no matter how appalling, how evil, how wrong, and how ashamed of it you are, if you come to Jesus with a humble heart and ask him to forgive you, he is willing and able to save you.
The Bible says it like this. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There is no greater decision that you will have to make in your life than that. Where do you stand with God? I just want to finish by drawing your attention to this. We run a great course in this church. In fact, churches run it all over the, this country and in fact, all over the world called Alpha. And uh, it just, it's about 10 weeks uh, on a Wednesday evening. And it's a lovely course. Often people are really sad when it comes to the end and they want to carry on with it. And it just enables people to ask all the questions that they want about um, the Christian faith and about life. And uh, we're going to run another one of these in September. And I just want to say, this is a great way for you to climb a tree, to look, and come and see Jesus, to find out what he's all about. And I just would urge you to come and the sign-up is available, or will be available, through this uh, logo and our uh, Okay, I'm going to...